This hour of Canuck Central is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited. Your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Trade deadline in the books. Uh, one trade did take uh, almost, what, five hours post-deadline to uh, get announced, but... Um, the final deal of deadline day, Sat, has been uh, completed. And uh, Ryan Kessler is now a Vegas Golden Knight. Yeah. Incredible, right? Listen. Uh, After all this time. It, it, Ryan Kessler for a playoff run? <laughs> Why not? You know, 11 years ago, yep. he, he had an incredible playoff run. One last go at it. One uh, one last go at it uh, as the, the <laughs> Vegas Golden Knights and and uh, Anaheim Ducks finally complete the uh, Evgeny Dadanov uh, and Ryan Kessler deal. Also a second-round pick going to Anaheim. John Moore going back to Vegas as they uh, look to get another player to put on to LTIR so that uh, they can – have a salary cap team of over a hundred million dollars by the time uh, the uh, the playoffs roll around. Yeah, and as this person texting in about all the deals today that he deems as being cap circumvention, it was <laughs> it was a trade to the three way trade with Florida retaining yep. uh, some money to facilitate a trade. The Kessler one, obviously, it's to help go over the cap or whatever. And I mean, I, I it, you know, the texture's not wrong. Mm-hmm. It is circumventing the salary cap. It is. It is. But the, the 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 messed up part about this is there is some subjectivity to what that yep. you know spirit circumvention of is, circumvention yeah. is and and how it goes against the spirit of the game and you know somehow some way they deem the Luongo contract and that's where all this is kind of coming from is being <laughs> cap circumvented which and I agree it's absolutely ridiculous right but everything that happened today there's been precedent for it and, and it has been allowed I don't get mad about it anymore it is what it is really right yep. like it, it is what it is right and why did the Canucks especially back when the Luongo cap recapture happened why did they not fight it harder with the league you kind of wonder right mm-hmm. I mean if if you really want you could have fought it a bit harder were you okay with taking a dead cap hit without spending some money for a while? I mean, who knows? All I'm saying is I understand the frustration. I I thought it was complete BS as well. But anything else that's happened since then, it's stuff that's had that's been allowed to happen, and there's precedent for it, whether we like it or not. Uh, you know, it's just a, in a long line of players that uh, have ended up on LTIR and just getting traded around the league, like uh, Henrik Zetterberg, Pavel Datsuk for a time, uh, Chris Pronger for a few uh, few years there, David Clarkson, Nathan Horton. I mean, it's uh, just there's always one player floating around the league that's uh, being traded, but his career has been over for a couple of years yet. And uh, now that's Ryan Kessler going to the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. He's going to look great in uh, in Golden Knight strips. But uh, we'll, we'll see what he does for their playoff but, run. But honestly, what they what uh, the Golden Knights should do, because mm-hmm. he's a player on their roster now, or at least part of their organization, they should bring him in and have him part of the pregame celebrations and stuff like that. It should, like, they should make a bit out of it. Honestly, that's what I would do, especially with Kessler. He's always involved with stuff now, right? Yeah. Trying to kind of be out there in the media or whatever, and especially a team like Vegas that is bold and doesn't care. Now bring him in. Make him do some work. You're collecting a paycheck, even though you're not playing. Come and do something for once. Even uh, Bobby Lou is getting in on the fun. Never easy seeing an ex-teammate get traded. Good luck in Vegas, Ryan yeah. Kessler. That's uh, mm-hmm. Bobby Lou on Twitter. 
Uh, so that was uh, the last deal of deadline day, and we waited with bated breath to see what else the Canucks would do. Uh, got down to a pretty late hour before they finally did make the Tyler Mott trade sat. You know, this is clearly a situation now where, you know, the, the Canucks are playing out the rest of the season, whatever that may bring. And um, Patrick Alvine, Jim Rutherford, the new era Canucks front office, is going to have to wait till the offseason to really put their stamp on this roster. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about what they had to do, and what they had to do was make a decision on Tyler Mott one way or another, right? And the decision that was made was he gets traded for a fourth-round pick. And, you know, like I mentioned before, there were some contract discussions. I don't think the Canucks were willing to offer anything close to what would make Mott stay. And you can see by the deal itself that obviously he wasn't willing to accept whatever the Canucks were offering. So... I've mentioned this before. I think whatever they offered, uh, if there was a firm offer, w- the number was a, with a one in front of it, not a two. Yeah. You know, whether that's 1.7, 1.5, I don't know. But, you know, I don't think it was this $2 million offer, right? Like, I think for Mod, if they would have offered him a three or four year deal at $2 million per year that gave him a total of six to $8 million, that may have been that may have been tough for him to turn down because A, he wants to stay, and B, that's a decent yeah. amount of money for a guy who's never made a ton outside of a million, and you get some guaranteed money in your pocket, especially with the style he plays. Would have been hard for him to turn that down. And the fact that the Canucks never got close to that, I think it tells you that the Canucks valued him, but they weren't willing to over or pay more than they thought makes sense for a player who plays in a bottom six role for this team. So that's ultimately why he gets traded. And whether it was a fourth round pick or not, yeah, sure, you wanted more, but. Like we said, they weren't going to let him walk for nothing. It's almost like uh, the things they've been saying the whole time uh, were exactly what they ended up doing. (laughs) Look, cap space and creating a cap cushion is the biggest priority for this team. So extending a little bit further for Tyler Mott just wasn't really an option for them. Even though it was unexpected to move on from Travis Hamanick, it still didn't make a ton of sense to really extend yourself for Tyler Mott. And I know a few weeks ago I, I said, you know, you, you might want to go up over $2 million for for Mott and everything that he brings. I value Mott a lot. I think he's a fantastic player to have in your bottom six. Yes. And I think everything that the Mott-Lamico-Highmore line brings is exactly what this organization has been searching for in their bottom six for so long. They're cheap, they're fast, they kill penalties, they win their matchups at five-on-five. Like, they do everything that this club has wanted its bottom six to do for so long. But this organization and this new front office understands we can't overpay for that. Mm -hmm. And we'll just have to work to find replacements that work in those situations. And I think that is the shrewd part of this because the bigger task at hand is fixing the top of the roster. You know, we came into this year thinking the top of the roster is what's going to carry this team, but that's not been the case. Yeah. The top of the roster has let this team down this year, whether it's Pedersen, Besser, Certainly Horvat and has had his situations this year where he hasn't always done what he's needed to do for this team to have success. Miller's been there. Hughes has been there. Demko has been there. Ekman Larson and Myers have 
performed admirably, but they're never going to live up to their contracts. Yeah. It's been the top of this roster that has really let the team down this year, not so much the bottom of the roster. No, I mean, that's been, especially early parts of the season, like you mentioned, those struggles, that's where this team really was sunk more than anything else, yep. right? But, you know, as far as just Mott in general goes and how the Canucks went about whole, you know, viewing him as an asset, one thing that was mentioned before, and we talk, we have Frank Cervalli on, he was on, in our first hour, if you missed it on the podcast, make sure to check it out. And one of the things we talked to him about before was, is Mott more valuable in Vancouver than he is elsewhere? And as much as his name was out there on the trade board, we always got the sense that it wasn't a strong market. And you and I kind yep. of talked about how surprising it is that a, you know a guy like Tyler Mott, there isn't more buzz around him. There isn't more interest than you would expect around him. I think if if somebody would, would have been offering you a second-round pick from Mott, three weeks ago, for instance, I think they would have made that deal. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I don't think this is a situation where the, the Canucks were like, yeah, we're, we're not trading Tyler Mott at all and don't talk to us about him and then decide to check to see what the interest is. I think, why do we hear about Canuck names and trade packages? Because teams were talking to Vancouver. Yes. And part of the job for a management team when they come in is talk to other teams about your players to find out how they're viewed, right? Like, how does a league view your players? Because... You got to know how they're viewed, right? Like You can't just step into the office and say, okay, here's my board. I think I can get a second-round pick for him and a fourth-round pick for him and, a, and two first-round picks for him. That's just guessing. How do you find out what, what your player's value is? By calling people around the league, yeah. talking to them, and finding out how they view your players. So that kind of engagement they did was testing the waters, which they should do. Like That's part of your job when you come in as a new general manager. So you heard a lot of stuff come out. And I think at that point, they had a really good idea about what it would take yep. for them to move guys or what they could get back in return, at least the from initial kind of conversations, right? So... I think this team was engaged in conversations and had an idea about what it would take, but I don't think they passed on a better deal at any point. Mm -hmm. Like, I really don't believe that the Canucks got a fourth-round pick today for Mott, and they could have got a fourth, a, a second-round pick and a prospect a month ago. Like, I don't think that equation existed. There's really a lot to, to look at. You know, Johan Larson going for a third-round pick. You look at uh, some other moves that were made, and, yeah, fourth-liners were kind of valued exactly in the range that Tyler Mott ended up uh, getting traded for as a fourth-round selection. It's, you know, the, the, the truth will be in the summer whether Mott gets, you know, the kind of $2 million average annual value that uh, he potentially is looking for. Um, I wonder, I think it's going to take a, a decent playoff run for him and him fitting into New York well to, to get that kind of a number. But it's just a situation in Vancouver. They had to make that deal. Mm. You know, I think a lot of times with the fan base, you know, I kind of joked about this over on Twitter, but it's like you absolutely have to trade Tyler Mott, and then the trade value comes in, and it's like, well, how could you only get that for him? <laughs> you know, it's this isn't like storage wars, you know, where you're like opening up a bill uh, – uh, a storage bin, and it's like, oh, here's a, here's an old bicycle with one wheel. Could probably get fifty bucks for that. Like, who's giving you 
And they just grab a bunch of junk. Oh, I can get 20 bucks for this and 40 bucks for that. That, that, that old mattress with some cockroaches in it, it's uh, probably still worth 150 bucks. Like, who is giving you this? That's kind of what we do uh, when it comes around to trade deadline. Like, oh, yeah, you can get a second round pick for that guy. Or, oh, yeah, you can. And, and mm-hmm. I fall into this trap sometimes, too, overvaluing some of the local players. But it's, at the end of the day, what the rest of the league values that player at. Yeah. And the Canucks, you know, they did what they could to try and keep Tyler Mott. Obviously, the number wasn't there, but they end up getting the fourth-round pick. Not bad. And, and uh, listen, we haven't heard from Tyler Mott yet, and maybe we will you know, relatively soon. But it, at some point, too, would he be open to coming back in the summer, potentially? For, like, and listen, I'm not suggesting they should do this, but think, I'm just saying— well, is, is Mott's that... been pretty open that he really liked being here in Vancouver. Exactly. But, we, you know, so— is it outside the realm of, po- uh, realm of possibility that he finds a way back here in the offseason for a team-friendly deal because he realizes that in the market, he, the, they're not as hot for him as they should be potentially? If he doesn't get offered $2 million per season, for instance, and it's less than that, does he come back to Vancouver? I mean, those things could happen potentially, especially in free agency. We don't know what's going to happen here. But if you were going to criticize the team for one thing, I would say it was a missed opportunity to do more. Not to say that you should have done more. I mean, listen, it comes down to valuation. But it's an opportunity for you to do different things. And even though they made three deals, and even though it's more than fine, it's a fine trade deadline, right? You got something for Tyler Mott. You got younger on the back end. You got a little bit of cap space. And the other part about this, a quick aside, I think it would have been tough for this team to clear $1.5 million in cap space and then give that cap space to Tyler Mott. Yeah, because then you're not moving anything. You're not creating anything. You got younger with Dermot. You got something you needed on the back end, or at least something to test out. And you got a little bit of flexibility. You can't just flip that around right away. But if you were going to criticize them for anything, it's, hey, whether whether it was your fault or not, could you have done more? And did you miss on an opportunity to do more one way or another, right? Like, is that a possibility? It's hard for us to say, but I would say that for a team that is trying to make more moves, they want to make more moves, right? They want to clear more cap space out. I mean, Alvin told us already today, he said, we want to clear more cap space Mm -hmm. and we also want to get better. We have some challenges ahead of us. What does that tell you? That, you know, Alvin doesn't give us much, but when he's, when you listen to the words, he gives you a little bit of an indication. They want to clear more space. They want to get better and younger, but it's going to be hard to do. So when you know you're in a spot where you still have to move a few more guys, you know, and make a f- number of more changes, had you been able to make one or two more at the deadline or one more at the deadline long-term one, well, it makes your job easier in the offseason and moving forward. And that's a bit of a missed opportunity, whether it's, yeah. it's a disappointing. I would say maybe that's the most disappointing thing. They maybe couldn't have done more, but that, again, comes down to what, is in front of you and what you're able to do. Yeah, and it, you know, you don't want to undersell anything just to open up the space. Look, if they could have uh, gotten rid of about five million bucks, maybe they're able to put Yaroslav Halak's bonus onto yeah. this year's cap and not have it carry over to next year. So there would have been some, uh, you know, some really you know, advantageous, you know. Uh, planning situations had they been able to to move some of that money and open up more space for next year but again like are you just willing to sell off Connor Garland or whomever else that has that kind of a salary just for the sake of doing so I don't think that makes a ton of sense either so there's still some bait in the water 
we'll see what ends up getting bit in the summer because the trade talk yeah. and the ideas of movement aren't going away. You know, guys like Pearson and Myers who will have their full no trade clause reduced in the summer, that opens up a whole new yeah. bunch of teams that the Canucks can talk to and not have to worry about having those players potentially waive to get that sort of a deal done. Same thing goes for Besser or Garland and even Miller. Just because the trade deadline is over doesn't mean their future here in Vancouver is cemented. And now that Mod is out of the picture, and like I said, who knows what happens in free agency. When we look ahead to the Canucks and their cap commitments and the decisions they have to make this offseason, Mott's no longer one, right? Yeah. So when we look at how much cap space do the Canucks have for next season now, and the only guy you have to sign or make a decision on now is Brock Besser this offseason, yep. right? In actual cap space, they have $12.3 million. When you put Furlan and LTIR, that can get up to about $16 million next season. So now, for next year, you have $16 million of cap space coming up this offseason, and you have 12 players under contract. Yeah. You have a little bit of flexibility here. Now, a big chunk of that is going to Brock Besser. So let's say six. Let's just say for argument's sake, say yep. that's six. So that means you need to that's fill the ballpark. You need to fill about eight spots and you have ten million to do so. It gives you flexibility to fill out your roster, right? And do some creative little fun things here and there. But you're still looking at moving one more guy out at least, right? Because if you can move two more contracts out, and let's say that's one is Myers, and let's say one is, you know, say Tanner Pearson, for instance. Yeah. If those are the ones you're able to do, then you're talking about real flexibility. Mm-hmm. And if you actually end up moving one of Besser, Garland, or Horvat, or Miller, and get some big assets back, then all of a sudden look at next offseason and say, okay, now we have a bundle of cap space. We have a few extra assets. It's go time. So to me, it comes down to what else can you move off? Pearson and Myers. Those two guys to look at. Now, if you have to hold on to Pearson, you live with it. 3.25, yep. he can play for you. That's okay. The guy you got to move out is Myers. And, I, and I've defended him, but this offseason... And maybe you can't clear out all six, but can you do four of it or five of it? If you do that, you're going to have a world of flexibility. And it's not the big rebuild everybody wants, but I'm telling you, if you make two deals like that and maybe one of those bigger deals, you are literally one or two years away from being in a really good spot. And that's what you're looking to do, right? It's not the four or five year rebuild because you got Demko for four more years. How many of those years are you going to waste? Right, so you got to turn it around in a big yeah. hurry. So he mentioned Alvin. We have some challenges, and I think the challenge is outside of the obvious guys. You can move. Can we get one of those guys out? And if we can, then we might be in go time pretty quickly. I think there's a segment of people that wanted the Canucks to to pull off the Anaheim Ducks type of trade deadline. Um, you know, look, the Ducks players, a lot of them were at pure rentals. You know, so that's very different. And a lot of those guys are older than where their current crop is starting to grow from. Yeah. Right? Like, they, they've clearly signaled over the last couple of years that they are going through a rebuild. And while they've been better than expected this year, they've fallen off as expected as the season has gone on. And they moved away from all of those UFAs. And it made sense for them. It was already part of their plan yeah. to sort of 
do that. It's very different when the Canucks are looking at the Hughes and Demko contracts now as setting up their window in the next two to three years. You weren't going to move all of these players and get just an abundance of draft choices and prospects into the system. That was just never really part of the plan. And I don't think that's where the Canucks see themselves at right now as needing this huge rebuild. I don't think any of us really saw us there Mm -hmm. with this Canucks team. So I don't think that was on the table. Could they have done a little bit more? Sure. Uh, Did they do enough? I think they did pretty much the baseline, Sat. Like, I don't know how you are overly excited about what the Canucks did at this deadline. It's really good work to get move on from the Hammond contract, but I don't understand how you can be overly disappointed either. Like, it's just... It was a very normal trade deadline for the Vancouver Canucks. It's the boring take, right? But it was a fine deadline. That's what it was. Like, I'm not sitting here and applauding them for it. We're not sitting here saying, wow, what a magnificent deadline. I want to have a hot take on it, but there, there's like, I'm sorry, there's nothing to be truly over the top about here. You know, we've, we use a lot of phrases, I think, you know, on this show. I use a lot of phrases sometimes way too often. And baseline is one we've mentioned a lot, but yeah. I think you nailed it. I mean, the baseline was, what, what do you have to take care of? Salary cap. And Tyler Mott. And Tyler Mott, okay? And, hey, you were able to affect the salary cap slightly, Mm -hmm. and you were able to get something for a guy that you weren't able to sign. The rest you can do in the offseason, right? Now, would would it have been more exciting and fun and better had you been able to do something else to really help your team out? Of course it would have been. And that's why I'm saying if there's any disappointment is that – Hey, you missed you missed the opportunity, whether it's you're doing or not, to do a bit more at a moment where deals are happening, right? Yeah. Like it's a moment where, like we talked to Sarah Valley, where two times a year where where you're where you're able to make trades, deadline and the draft. Other times that happens too, but that's really the time. But generally speaking, it's those are the pressure points. Exactly. Now, generally speaking, it's rentals, and when you don't deal with rentals, it becomes more complicated yeah. during the, during the deadline. And we saw that again. We saw a few of those trades, and like Frank mentioned, Toffoli was a very specific target, right? That's why there was a bit more cost to it. And also, Toffoli's contract's really favorable. $4.25 million, mm-hmm. two more years, and he's played really well and coming off a massive season and being on a Montreal team that made it to the Stanley Cup, right? So different conversation about him as a player in a really nice, favorable contract. Plus, that's the guy they targeted and specifically wanted. That's the only thing you can kind of look at and say, hey, it's too bad they weren't able to do more. But it wasn't a bad trade deadline, but also wasn't a home run. It's... um. It's okay to just be like okay with something, you know, and that's I, I still think the uh, stamp that this new front office is going to put on this roster hasn't come yet. Yeah, it's going to come in the summer. You started to see a little bit of it. They got younger. Uh, they talk about so much being a better skating team, one that's faster like Dermot hits those traits. Right, he, He's a flawed player, sure, of course. That's why he was to be had on the cheap as a 25-year-old defenseman. But he hits some of those traits mm-hmm. as a mobile skater, a guy that improves their team speed, all of those things. It's exactly what this team has been saying that they want to do. You know you know what's really funny to me uh, is there is a chance. And again, I even mentioned Dermot yesterday. I, he might work out. I'm not the biggest fan of his game, but I can see why you would take a shot at him. And he has traits, like you mentioned, speed that make a lot of sense. But let's say, for instance, he clicks in Vancouver. Well, I mean, 
it's funny, but this team might be better for the rest of the season than they were before because yeah. of the upgrade Dermot may be on Hamannick if he clicks. If, and that's a big if, right? And yes, there's a fall off between Richardson and Mott, but it's not as big as you might expect. Yeah. Like, Brad Richardson is a perfectly fine and capable bottom six player. They can kill penalties, win draws, play wing and play center, and he's gritty, right? Doesn't score, but at least it gives you a lot, little bit of, you know, something, right? Not a massive type of drop-off. But it's funny because... If you get the types of players you want that that click here that are younger, this team will get better. And what can Travis Dermott kind of provide here the rest of the season? And those are the types of bets yep. they had to make. They also made one of those. They got some cap space. They made a little bit of a bet, and they got a little bit of a small little draft pick for a player they weren't going to sign. Nothing too exciting, but it was something. Again, what did they do in Pittsburgh all the time? Take a lot of bets on players and defensemen. Yeah that they thought they could bring into their system and they would have more success. It worked with some. It worked with Marcus Pedersen for a time, and uh, they signed him to a big contract. Now it's uh, not looking so great. Um, John, John Marino, you know, he again, rookie season, incredible, great in his second year, and now he's uh, going through a little bit of a slump. But the, the one that I look at as uh, that's been really impressive, Mike Matheson. Mm-hmm. Remember in Florida, it was like, who, oh, yeah. who is this guy? Like, why did he? Why did he get an eight-year deal? I mean, he had the big hit on Pedersen, but looked like a guy who was just washed. Oh yeah, bad know? contract and washed already. Yeah, yeah. it's like mid twenties, and like, who is this guy, and why did he get that contract? And now in Pittsburgh, he is uh, like, I don't want to say stud, but he's been really good for them. He has been, I and mean, and then the opposite's been true for Marcus Pedersen. Yeah, who went from being really good to all of a sudden he's struggling, and it kind of shows you how fit and really matters, right? Yes. And, you know, we had a text saying, like, how, how do you move Myers and how do you replace those minutes? And, yeah, that's going to be tough to replace, but it's also about fit. And Yannick, I think, was incredible today on the Canucks Hour, and, you know, he was he was kind of talking. Canucks about, Hour, stealing Yannick from stealing us. Stealing Yannick Unbelievable. from us. It's deadline. We all, I, was, yeah. I was on that show, too, yeah. so I can't hate on it yeah. too much. We're, we're yeah. team players. <laughs> we're team, we'll we'll exactly. let Yannick be on, uh, on Canucks Hour. <laughs> yeah, we help out. We help out. But, I mean, he mentioned they're the same player in many ways. Yeah. Even though is a bit better defensively, right? And you have Quinn Hughes who's offensive, but they also don't can't play. Myers can't play with somebody who's not named OEL. Yeah, it's a problematic fit. You got to move and bring somebody else in that's a better fit. And uh, they started to do that with Travis Dermott. Uh, yeah. How do you feel about the deadline? Let us know on the Dunbar Lumber text line. For those that are listening on podcast, if you have a question about the direction of where the Canucks are headed or you want to leave a comment, you can do so as well. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can ask a question. Maybe we'll get to it on Mailbag Friday. Use a capital MF uh, tagging your text for Mailbag Friday. We do it every Friday here on Canucks Central. Up next, it's Don Taylor. Yes, Donnie. The legend will be joining us next on Sportsnet 650. Canuck Central this hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. First hour of Canuck Central, we had uh, Canucks General Manager Patrick Alvin with his uh, take on the trade deadline. Uh, if he's fed up of us continuing to talk trades, 
<laughs> what people didn't hear was uh, yeah. the Swedish conversation had between my co-host Satyar Shah and one Patrick Alvin. Mm, yeah, off air where there was a Swedish conversation. Yeah, well, it was brief. It was just like a quick hello. Yeah. Yeah. And there was just me in the side, in the background, like, "Hey, come on, stay, stay Ben, and too." Hey, I just wanted to feel like I fit in, you know. I was just like, <laughs> like, "Sorry, Dad." You, you, s- you said bye in Swedish, and I was just like, "Ah, yeah. ciao." <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, anyways, I wanted to feel like I fit in. No, it was, it was, it was a nice touch. It was a nice touch at the end. It was, it was a very multicultural discussion. It, it Swedish, was, Italian, yeah. and uh, English. <laughs> it was a little bit all over the place. Um, but there was a, a, an interesting comment about uh, Bruce Boudreaux, which we'll uh, talk about in just a little bit. But let's get to our next guest. He is uh, the one, the only, Don Taylor. Donnie and Dolly, Monday through Friday on Check TV. 10 to noon normally, but they gave you an extra hour today uh, with uh, yeah. the trade deadline festivities. What's happening, Donnie? Well, I'm just snoozing now because it was a lot of work today. It's a three-hour <laughs> show. Can you guys believe that? You know, you probably don't know what that's like. It's it's tough. crazy the amount of uh, the amount of energy us TV networks put into to trade deadline coverage here in Canada. Hey. Oh yeah, now I you know I, I used to do it for uh, Sportsnet and. Uh, you know, those days, I mean, it just seems every year is like this, but there's a lot of waiting and then everything breaks. Uh, usually, you know, maybe an hour before and then an hour after, and there's a whole lot of fill before that. But it's it's fun and it's a challenge as a broadcaster trying to trying to fill those empty segments. But uh, usually if you're prepared, you're okay. Well, you, you know, for, from the broadcast standpoint, you're right. I mean, it, it is whether there are a lot of deals or not, you got to put on a show, right? And you got to be prepared. And you got to be on your toes. And but as far as following the deadline, I went from like waking up at five o'clock if I wasn't working, you know, the morning show or whatever, and being ready and watching the deadline to like today. I got up at at, at five thirty, checked my phone, I had sent some messages out, went back to sleep. Woke up, checked my phone, and then I went to the gym. I came back. Like it, it was just so quiet today that it was you could p- pretty much go on with your day if you weren't working, and you could just wait until eleven, and everything came through. So five thirty is also known as the only time that Sat doesn't work. You're on the air all the time, <laughs> radio, TV, uh, just an excellent post game show uh, yesterday. Uh, you know, um, yeah, you know, there was a couple of texters, emailers that you had fun with, but. Uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty consuming, but we're Canadian. We we love it. Um, I, I, I watched and you know took part in in, in all of it, and uh, just uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, and like I say, every year we think nothing's going to happen, and then something pretty significant does. I don't know if people think what Vancouver did is significant, but at least something happened. You know what? I, I will say this. Uh, you know, I, I, I love uh, our, our colleagues over at Sportsnet, like David Amber and uh, Elliot Friedman and all those guys. Oh, yeah. TV guys are great. Uh, but I love Trade Deadline for the sole reason of, like, every year they have to learn how to fill time. <laughs> it's their one day a year where they're like, we're on, we're on for how many hours? Like, Donnie, yeah. we do this every day for three hours, you know? Like, uh, you yeah. know it in the radio game. This is, every day you're filling this kind of time. Never mind one day a year. Jeez. Yeah. You know, you, you look at your rundown, you know, for people <laughs> who don't know what that's all about. It kind of maps out. Uh, what you're doing for the whole day and you have those open segments which are always a little bit scary for a broadcaster but uh, usually if you get to this stage you kind of know what you're doing we uh, today for instance and and this is no secret to people but 
you know, we had, you know, the Canucks, just in case we had to fill time, which we ended up uh, doing and using, you know, the best Canuck deadline day deals through, through time. Uh, so since you know 1970, and you know it might sound uh, trivial, but if you're a, if you're a Canuck fan, if you're a hockey fan, you you love that sort of stuff. And always nice to remind people of the 1990 deal that brought your K. Lume to uh, Vancouver for a second round draft pick from mm-hmm. Montreal. So yeah, if, if you're prepared, if you're prepared, you, you, you should be okay. And we had Cliff running on the show on on Friday, and we borrowed a couple of uh, clips from that from that. Um, from that interview, because he was involved in arguably, well, it was one of the best trade deadline deals in '91 uh, with St. Louis, and he reminisced about that. So, if you're prepared, you're you're okay. A lot of fun. Donnie's always prepared. I love it. Donnie <laughs> oh, can just God. come up with anything on the spot. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Like right now, I'm stoked. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how did you feel about the Canucks deadline as a whole? I think uh, you know we we talked so much about all the possibilities of what could happen. It it ends up being uh, kind of quiet, you know, and just essentially uh, what they were expected to do. Plus uh, the what happened yesterday with Travis Hamonic and and uh, Travis Dermott. Well, I thought yesterday was really thoughtful. It just, it just all seemed to fit. Mm-hmm. The puzzle pieces really seemed to fit. And, you know, in uh, you got yourself, the Canucks did. They got themselves younger and cheaper. And so, okay, that's two things they needed to do. There wasn't a blockbuster today. And my initial reaction with Mott was, that's it. That's all you're getting. But I was quickly reminded that, you know, when you go back to – uh, Hamhuis and Rabada and, and mm-hmm. players who ha- seem to have value at the deadline that they ended up getting nothing for once they became UFA. So they got something for Tyler Mott. Uh, they're, they're, these, these management types aren't dumb. I imagine they shopped around, and that's the best they could do. So my initial reaction was, that's it. Because there was a lot of buildup with, with Tyler Mott, but you know it, it, when you look at it, without emotion you realize that's probably probably as good as they, they could do but uh yeah and, and i guess uh, you know now the other part of it is that they're clearly uh preaching patience here they weren't going to jump at a deal for brock besser or, or whoever just because it was sitting there and something will be done i would think in the summer with uh, brock or or whomever Oh, Donnie, and you know what? You're right about yesterday being really thoughtful as far as the Travis Hamnick deal goes. But what I also thought was really interesting was Frank Cervalli on a couple of occasions, including you know the first hour when he was on with us here on Canuck Central, mentioned that a lot of the players on the team were very happy that Travis Hamonic was moved. And, you know, one thing that I mentioned before is that at least under the previous regime with management that they had really gone tired about the whole Hamonic situation, the ups and downs and everything that was going on, whether it's, you know, we don't know what, what personally what was going on and we can't speak to it, but I do know that the team was getting tired of it and they wanted to move on if possible, you know, at some point and obviously changes happened and we saw him still get moved and moving the entire cap. It was a big coup for this team, but what do you make of those comments and that kind of sense of people, there being relief that they got him out of the organization? I, I'm not surprised just because, you know, we knew, we know what happened here and there was so much mystery here as to, at least, you know, from the outside looking in. But one thing we do know is that there were issues wherever he went. Um, I did find it surprising that he ended up in Eastern Canada 
or in the East period when we all know with the Islanders, he was adamant about uh, wanting to play in Western Canada. And I guess through the Capuano um, connection, that didn't doesn't matter as much in Ottawa. I'm just I'm just not not, not surprised. The players in the National Hockey League, it just if you work for a strong organization or if you're a professional in any profession, you want the people around you to be 100% committed. And I just, I, I just wonder if that was the feeling in the dressing room when it came to him. And I, I've, I have respect for whatever he believes in, but I, I, I get that people have different beliefs that I do or that than you do or, or anybody else, but you want people to show up like you're showing up uh, on a regular basis. And you just got the feeling that that wasn't the case and that can rub a lot of people the wrong way. Don Taylor, our guest, you know, I think a, a, a lot of the Canucks moves and, and how this front office is going to put their stamp on the team, on the roster is, is still to be done in the summer, Donnie. But, um, you know, the end of this homestand, it felt like after that Detroit game, everything, the balloon kind of popped a little bit. And it, to me, it, it's they pretty much pooched their chance at continuing this push to the playoffs with how they uh, they finished off this homestand here. You talk all you want about the Calgary game or, or, or the game on Sunday against Buffalo. That Detroit game was just crushing. But it's it, that's not an excuse. Good teams and resilient teams, and we've used that word a lot. All of us have used that word a lot. We thought this team was resilient. Turns out that after a real crushing defeat like that, they weren't. And I'm not saying they should should have beaten Calgary, but they didn't even show up. And then Buffalo, of course, you know, were one of the poorer teams in the National Hockey League that they couldn't beat them. I, I, I just think that, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but, and I'm, you know, I go back to 1970 with this team. I realize I say that a lot, but <laughs> is it possible that the Canucks were looking ahead when it came to Detroit? Like yeah. to to the weekend, like is that really like? Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. You you know, the, given the history of this team and the way this team has performed this year early on, heck, they lost a coach, they lost a GM, and you're looking ahead. Because I thought I, I think they were, and they got shut out by at the time the second worst defensive team in the in, in the NHL, and that's not right. And they just uh, you know when you look at turning points in the season, yeah, okay. You did lose a GM. You lost a coach, like I said. But that game against Detroit just crushed them, just killed them, and that just should not be the case. You should be able to bounce back from that, and you should be able to show up better for a game like that. Well, and, you know, ultimately, as much as Patrick Alvin says all the right things about the group, because when you look at the totality of what they have done ever since Boudreaux took over, I mean, they've been a winning team, right? They've got back into the playoff race. And when you look at it under the Boudreaux tenure, despite some, you know, bad losses and bad moments and bad habits— Overall, it's been good. So I think it's hard for them to sit here and, you know, crap on the roster and after getting back into the, you know, especially publicly at least. But I do think especially what they've seen this past week was probably really illuminating. Even if they kind of, you know, wondered about these things and, and still kind of saw some of the things that they wanted to change. And Alvin was very clear about Patrick practice habits and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and Boudreaux talked about self-preparation and all that sort of stuff. So we know those were the things they've talked about. But I would have to say that what, what happened during this homestand probably was super illuminating about what truly needs to be done here this offseason. Yeah, was that the real was that the real roster? And I I actually said on our show 
that I thought, man, does Benning deserve credit for putting uh, together a, a, you know, maybe it was a decent roster. Maybe it was all, all, all about coaching, but I think we got it a, a better idea regarding character, resiliency, and just pure, pure talent about what this team is, is, is about over the last three games. And guys, to me, um, when, when I, when I, I think about those three games, the one thing that really stood out for me and everybody talks about slow starts, which was the case this weekend, they just look slow. They have to get faster. Every team, even Detroit, Buffalo, teams near the bottom, they looked younger, faster, and like like uh, you know, number one more than anything else. And I think that's where where this roster needs a whole lot, a lot of help. Don Taylor, our guest, uh, when we spoke with uh, Alvin off the top of the show, um, we asked him about the future of of Bruce Boudreaux, and uh, if he'll be the coach of this team beyond this season. Uh, they, they haven't decided it yet, Donnie. And, you know, Boudreaux, the team has definitely gotten a lot of results under Boudreaux. Do you think uh, you've seen enough of, uh, of uh, Gabby that he should uh, remain the head coach of this uh, Canucks team? Well, I think so. I, I think so. There's an energy to uh, him that we haven't seen in, in a long time um, from, from, from a coach. But I think, you know, it's not just obviously not just the Canucks decision, the guy's in his late 60s. And mm-hmm. so that has to be a consideration for him as well. Does he want to do this in a Canadian market where you have to answer to the media, to the fans constantly? And I think a lot of people love it. He knows what it's all about. He's Canadian. He knows, he knows what it's all about. Does he, does he want to go through that grind at that age? My first, you know, he's a competitor, he's a good hockey player, all of that. And you know, an athlete, and does he want to go? You know, but does he want to go through that grind? It's tough. So he's got to answer that question about himself as much as the Canucks got to answer the question about about him. It's 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 going to be interesting. No, I, I'm with you, and a big, big looming decision coming on his end. And as as far as anything that didn't happen today, and and I, and I know it's early because we just got through the trade deadline, but based on all the talk and based on everything that happened. Is there a player that you look at closely this offseason and really wonder if they'll be here next year? Yeah, Besser's number one for me. I just I just wonder about that. And I wonder if that's fair, but mm-hmm. I think we talked about this last week. I just, I just look at him, and I wonder when you talk about all the talk about speed and how Pittsburgh, where Alvin came from, where Rutherford came from, uh, Derek Clancy has that background there where speed is emphasized so much, it just seems more than ever that people wonder if he's a fit. And I just, I just can't help but watch him and, and, and look what he does at every moment almost. And is he keeping up? So he's the player I wonder about uh, more than anybody else. And that, has, and that has to do with his contract too, with the qualifying offer and the RFA status. So that, that, that has a lot to do with that. But I do wonder uh, about him and, and you know, and also where his game's gone, we just don't see that shot like we used to. So there, there's a lot there, but he he would be number one on my list. Uh, Tyler on the text line says Donnie's got a cheat code for dealing with uh, filling time. It's uh, it's Rick Dollywall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I look over to Rick when I'm we were, you know try, we're trying to fill time, and you guys know this. You worked with him. He's on his phone. He's on his phone. <laughs> Always on his phone. And then, hey, Rick, you want to say something? Huh, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. And he comes up with golden moments that all of that is worth it. 
Oh, it's totally worth it, but it's so funny because he can't run off set on TV, but like he'd run out of the studio. You know what it's like on air? Because yeah. he, he's like, I got to take this call. He just run yeah. out. <laughs> the door will go flying open. Chairs fly across the table. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you're, and you're left alone. But uh, yeah. Hey, I got to ask you guys a question. It has to do with entertainment. We had a bit of an argument today mm, okay. on the air. Um, because we were filling time. <laughs> most of it was about hockey. I watched right. the movie on the weekend. I put it under the okay movie, good, like maybe even good movie, brilliant performance. I'm talking about King Richard, with about the Williams sisters and their and their dad. Okay, I yeah. Will Smith deserves a, deserves a best actor, but I thought the movie was just okay. What did you think? I, I haven't see- seen it. I haven't seen oh, it yet, okay. Donnie. I haven't well, seen okay. it yet. You see, you're beating us to pop culture. Okay, that's bad. No, that's that's bad, that's bad for us. Yes, that's uh, really bad. You guys got to pick it up. King Richard. Uh, like I only watch uh, superhero movies now, Donnie. So, no, that's yeah. uh, that's that's totally a lie. I'm sorry. I'm no, I, no, I I don't listen. I got two teenage boys. They watch, you know, whatever you know, Spider-Man. Is, movie there is yeah it's it seemed to be on every you know second day in our household you know with the five different spider-man actors again however many there are and i have to say that i sit there watching them and go man this is actually pretty good like i yeah. like i you, you get drawn in oh yeah i now i get it you know you go back to comic books when i was a kid of course you're gonna like it you gotta watch uh dune donnie Good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you're if you're looking for Oscar worthy movies, mm. Dune Dune is up there. Yeah, really good. Okay. okay. All right. Let me get through. Uh, first of all, I got through <laughs> King Richard, um, and and let me get through as I talked to you about last week. My Mad Men face. Yep, right. I'm actually, you know, I'm on season six. Wow. Late in season six, almost finished. So Dune will be on the list. Okay. Great. So w- when you finish it, let us know. I want to talk about the ending. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Enjoy some episodes with a with a. Little old fashioned tonight, all right, Donnie? Okay. <laughs> yeah. A whiskey sour. Yeah. Uh, we'll see it. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, this, Donnie. Always fun, guys. Thanks so much. There is uh, Don Taylor. King Richard, haven't seen it. Will Smith is, I mean, I don't know. Is it hyperbole to say he's like the best actor of our time, of our generation, uh, kind of? The best. Among the best among actors. For sure best. he's among the among, best actors. Among. For sure among. I mean, does anybody beat Daniel Day-Lewis? Mm. Or Denzel Washington, really? That's true. I feel like Will Smith is kind of like a little bit after those guys. Although Denzel is still kind of gone. What was the last movie Daniel Day-Lewis did? Lincoln? I don't know. But whatever movie he's going to make is going to win like 15 Oscars. <laughs> there Will Be Blood? Yes. By the way, that movie's incredible. <laughs> Very, very, very heavy, but yeah, very incredible. Um, it is uh, Canuck Central. If you didn't know, uh, we <laughs> we became Entertainment Central uh, for a second there. But um, it's it is interesting what um, Alvin had to say about Bruce Boudreaux. I do want to maybe chat about that a little bit coming up as we begin uh, the next hour of the program. You'll also hear again from Patrick Alveen. It is Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. This is Canuck Central. Final segment of Canuck Central. 
your chance to uh, get some deadline thoughts in for the day. Ask a question if you have it. But um, earlier when we spoke to Patrick Alvin, he mentioned, well, we asked flat out what the future of Bruce Boudreaux is. Yes. And they haven't decided yet was the answer. It's something that they will look at once the season is over. So the evaluation process is still ongoing. Boudreaux um, was signed just before Rutherford came in as president and has a contract only guaranteed for this year. There is an option for next year that would need to be picked up by the club as far as we know. So, and Boudreaux, I think, is, is even mentioned as much. Yeah. So, it's a really interesting spot given how well the Canucks have done under Boudreaux. Uh, and uh, the club, again, I guess, using the time that they have allotted to them to make this decision. And at the end of the day, Patrick Alvine, mm-hmm. Derek Clancy, mm-hmm. Emily Castonguay, mm-hmm. Cammy Granado, mm-hmm. the GMs and AGMs of front office, they were not here when Bruce Boudreaux was hired. No, they were not. They were not even contacted. They had no idea they were going to be having jobs with the Vancouver Canucks, right? Rutherford wasn't even officially hired then. However, like Rutherford himself mentioned, he he did have conversations with Francesco Aquilini about Boudreaux and and essentially signed off on the hiring. So we know he at least was okay with Boudreaux being hired. But again, it's a one-year contract with a one-year option. Right, and the team has an op- has the opportunity to make a decision this off season, and because this front office didn't make that decision on hiring him to begin with, then I can understand why they want to take their time to some extent. But that also kind of tells you that what they've seen so far is is, is not enough for them to be like, yeah, we've decided this is this is our guy. You know what I mean? Like, I think that does say they haven't decided yet. You know what I mean? Like, even though he said that, sometimes they say stuff, but you kind of know they're going to hold on to him. I think they're being truthful when saying they haven't decided yet. Yeah, and. You know, it is always a thought like, you know, front office does want to bring in their guy for as successful and how welcomed Boudreaux has been to the market. Can you get swept up in that? Well, I mean, okay, so let's look at two things. Number one, you mentioned his record since coming, taking over. It's. Yep. It's a small sample at the end of the day, but it's a very impressive sample. He's gotten a lot out of a roster that is still pretty flawed. Yes, right? Very, very good. Now, as far as what Boudreaux's been able to get out of them. Boudreaux, however, is also a coach that has the pedigree of doing something like this mm-hmm. previously with other teams that came in to take over midway through the season. Case in point, Washington and even Minnesota and Anaheim to some extent. One of the reasons ownership targeted Bruce Boudreaux. Precisely. And he's one of the most winning coaches in the regular season in, in NHL history. And the way he wants to coach the team is how you need to be successful in the NHL in so many different ways. So when I see that and the fact that he's a coach that relates to the players and is able to get the best out of them and he's shown some success already with this core and he has an understanding of what this team is already and needs to be to improve and he knows how to build a program and foundation, why not lean into that? That's the way I view it. But from the organization's perspective, well, may they be looking at a different fit 
a guy that they may look at as a longer term fit that fits kind of where they want to go as a team, how whatever that is, right? So, yeah. and ultimately, this team wants to play kind of down low and be aggressive, um, you know, with a four check and stuff like that. Is that how this team wants to be, or do they want to be something different as far as how they play? So, you know, it's it's a fascinating situation. The Bruce Boudreaux one. If it was up to me, I'd be all for keeping him, but clearly, this organization still hasn't made that determination. It's uh, Boudreaux's record, 22-11-6 since taking over on December the 6th. That's a 641 points percentage. That is 11th best in the league, which is kind of wild considering uh, that there are 10 teams that have had a better points percentage in that time frame. They are all playoff teams with a bullet. I should say Nashville, Toronto, Calgary, St. Louis, Tampa, Boston, Florida, Carolina, Pittsburgh, and Colorado. So kind of the who's who of the NHL right now that the Canucks have been keeping up with, but it still hasn't been quite good enough. And I don't think whatever decision is made isn't an indictment on Boudreaux by any sense, but teams do want to bring in their guy often and... We don't know how Patrick Alvine feels about that. All we know is they're still evaluating that situation. For me, Boudreaux's done enough. It's hard not to like what Mm -hmm. he's done. Everything seems to have changed. Like, they've really um, changed the vibe around the team, uh, to really be honest about it. It's hard not to with the way things were for those last couple of weeks before the changes were eventually made, but there was and has been an air of positivity that Boudreaux has brought in. He seemed to really focus on bringing back some confidence to the group. Miller has taken his game to another level under Bruce Boudreaux. We've seen through different points, Quinn Hughes having a lot of success under Bruce Boudreaux. You've seen it with some of the younger players too. Pedersen finally snapping out of it, having a willingness to put Pedersen and other guys and Hughes on the penalty kill. Although that's not solely his decision. It's part of the coaching staff as well. I think there's, it's just opened up a few more things that maybe the previous coaching staff weren't necessarily looking at as potential solutions for what the team had issues with. Well, he's a very experienced coach and he's been able to deal with a lot of high-end players. Now, like any coach, he has a bit of a shelf life and he's joked about it himself too. So, is there, is there this sense? Let's just say for argument's sake, he's a guy that goes somewhere for what, three, four years and then moves on to the next place, right? Mm -hmm. So, if you've already spent, you know, essentially a year here in Vancouver and you're looking at trying to be better in year, say, three, where you're at now, that this is year one, year next year, you're taking a bit of a step back where you're trying to get better, but you're trying to get better in year three, four, five, and six. That's kind of your window. That's six kind of seven year uh, span. Maybe you're looking at it and saying this may not work out over that span. Now, to me, that might be putting the cart ahead of the horse to some extent, right? It's like that's thinking ahead before you're even, uh, you know, ready to be a contender yet. So don't worry about that. But if you're thinking bigger picture, bigger ideas, and a larger perspective about how this team needs to, you know, uh, proceed, 
then I can I can see an under I can see the argument for it, right? Because one thing that we have to keep into consideration here is this front office is looking at a lot of different things. I mean, the sense I've been getting is it's a very forward-thinking, modern type of front office where you're not just looking at this year and this deadline. You're not only thinking about this summer. You're also thinking about 2023, 2024, 2025, 2026, 2027. You're plotting out what your next five or six years look like. And that's kind of what the, if you look at the best organizations in the NFL, the best organizations uh, in the in Major League Baseball, Dan, that's how they view things out and plot things out. They look at so many different variables and considerations, you yeah. know, as far as the, the decisions they make. So if you're thinking bigger picture, then I can understand if you're, trying to explore different coaches mm-hmm. potentially than Bruce Boudreau. There's logic to it. Maybe that's what's going on. It's uh, it's an interesting spot that the uh, Canucks are in with their head coach. Uh, a couple of uh, thoughts coming in from our live listeners. Always uh, on the Dunbar Lumber text line, 650-650. You can listen on the Sportsnet app and uh, also on your smart speaker. Hey, put Sportsnet 650 on. It's really that simple. Rob, with this text, it's about the slow starts. Where is the line of responsibility of the coach to get the team going versus the squad not prepared or taking their jobs seriously enough? It's a harsh way of phrasing the question, but Boudreaux has made it clear from day one. He doesn't think it's his job to get them ready to play. Um it's uh, he's put it solely at the feet of the players. He has criticized them for it, not being ready to play at different points. He's exasperated at having to answer the question about the slow starts all the time, yeah. as are some of the players. Like when we spoke to Horvat last night after the first period against the Buffalo Sabres during the Canucks broadcast, it's um, it's tiring, but it is clearly a situation that is about the players being prepared for every game. It goes into their practice habits, I believe, and the culture in this organization. Yannick Hansen has talked to us about this as well. It is not the coach's job to motivate you for a game. You're a professional hockey player. This is your job. You should be ready to play every single night. So... I think it's pretty clear where the onus lies for this team to be better prepared to start every game on the right foot. Well, and the coaching change was made, right? Like, if you wanted to argue that it was on the coach, the coaching change was made, and the team has performed a lot better, but the start aspect of it hasn't changed, right? It's been the same thing. It has improved, but it's still problematic. And you see, as you mentioned, the exasperation in Bruce Boudreaux's face and his demeanor post-game when he, when he talks after performances like we saw over the weekend from the Canucks, right? So it's, it's clear to me that the players are the ones here that are the biggest issues as far as that overall leadership goes and that overall professionalism goes, right? 
Boudreaux can only do so much. Coaches can only do so much. And for a long time, as much as we sit here and talk about, you know, Boudreaux's better than Travis Green, I mean, people were, it's not that long ago, people were yelling at me for defending Travis Green too much and saying, you know, uh, here's Sack carrying water for Travis, while we're friends with the media and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, sure, like we can criticize Travis. He's made a lot of mistakes or he hasn't been able to get the best out of this group. And that's part of, you know, the evaluation process here. But let's also be honest. A lot of this comes down to the players and their professionalism and, and how you have to, you know, conduct yourself and how you have to be prepared and how you have to play. And when those things are issues, it goes beyond the coaching. And as much as you want to look at coaching in a lot of these aspects, I think in this situation, it's been very, it's been made very, very clear since the change was made. So this question comes from Gordy Locke. And I think it's very uh, interesting question from yeah. the happenings today. And even going back to last night, and we talked about this a little bit on the post-game show with how Luke Shen spoke mm-hmm. after the game last night, saying, um, kind of talking about this situation, you know, players being ready, all of those things came up. Uh, here is Luke Shen uh, after last night's loss to the Buffalo Sabres and uh, his take on... Uh, how this team and the culture around this team is. Yeah, it's obviously not what we envisioned. Obviously, coming off uh, you know the road trip we had in particular, I think we were feeling good coming home, and then um, you know got that first one under our belts. And you know, there's some times where you know we did some good things, and then there's some times where you know it was just not even close. So I mean, uh, obviously, our starts have gotten us behind the eight ball a little bit. Um, you know, there's some there's been some definitely uh, inconsistencies from. From, uh, you know, a, a handful of guys and, you know, we talked about it last night too. I mean, this time of the year, um, things get way harder and you can't expect to play an easy game mm-hmm. at this time of the year and, uh, you know, wait for chances on the perimeter, or wait for power plays or whatever. I mean, this is a time of year where, you know, it's a man's game and you got to grind. And um, I think, you know, if, if we want to stay in it, we, we need to find a lot of that in our game. Wow. Yes. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, we talked about it last night, right? Yeah. And, you know, we're like, this is super telling. We spoke about it with um, Ian McIntyre as well. And Gordy Locke is so right. If this wasn't the trade deadline, we that would be the big conversation in this market. What Luke Shen said. Yeah. And today, what did Patrick Alvin say about Luke Shen? Uh, well, let's hear it. Uh, so you hear that from Luke Shen clearly calling out uh, vaguely, uh, some of his teammates for their inconsistencies. Uh, here is Patrick Alvine today on uh, keeping Luke Shen as a Vancouver Canuck despite some trade interest. I have a lot of respect for Luke Shen uh, as a player and, uh, and more as a person and, and what he means to this club uh, uh, off the ice in terms of, of uh, being a winner, uh, uh, the culture, uh, the commitment he has to be a pro every day. For me, uh, it, it's extremely important for this young group uh, to have a guy like Luke Shen here around. So, uh, I, I don't know. I'm not great at math, but I'm putting two, to, two and two <laughs> together, and I'm seeing four here yeah. with uh, Luke Shen uh, showing that bit of leadership last night and Patrick Alvin uh, talking about Luke Shen in such a glowing manner today. Well, 
as much as we sit here and talk about value and trades, and, and all those things matter, Dan, right? They do. Cap space matters, draft picks matters, and talent matters. But also, the culture you build comes from the individuals you bring in and the examples that get set day by day and how you conduct yourself and the professionalism and the standards you want to set. And you still need to have players that do that for you. Now, we can have a conversation about the monetary value you put on that mm-hmm. for a player and where this team erred in the past was Beagle 3 million, Roussel 3 million, or Brandon Sutter trade big contract type of deal. I mean, big investments on what they deemed were important character example setters, culture carrier type of deals. Luke Shen makes 850K Yep, this year and next season. Mm-hmm. When he brings all those things and he plays well with Quinn Hughes and he's a leader for you and he's physical and you hear what he said post-game, what the GM said about him, what Boudreaux said about him, there's a real value there. So when teams called on Luke Shen today, and I mentioned this earlier, there were teams that called. And I think the Canucks actually got, got at least one offer that was worth listening to on yep. Luke Shen. But ultimately, their assessment was the value he has is more important for now with us than it is with us trading him for whatever that offer was that made us think. And I think his leadership has a lot to do with that. It's pretty obvious when you hear those comments from Patrick Alvin. And look, you can read all you want into who exactly Luke Shen was uh, kind of pointing at with his clip after last night's game. But when you hear things like guys waiting for power plays and well, not, it narrows it down pretty quick. Yeah. There's only so many guys that are playing big power play <laughs> minutes on this team. Right. Right. Well, and, and you know what, what one thing Boudreaux mentioned over the weekend to Dan, which I thought also kind of flew under the radar when he joked about Bo Horvat and Elias Pettersson being the stars of the video. Yeah. If, and if you don't, if you miss what I mean by the stars of the video, he meant after the video we went over with the team on Sunday coming off the game against the Calgary Flames when yeah. Horvat and Pedersen were playing together, the clips they showed to say, don't do this. Yeah. Whatever you do, don't do this. The stars of that video, Bull Horvat and Leas Pedersen. Yeah, 53 and 40. So, I mean, hey, I'm not saying those are the guys he's talking about. All I'm saying is those are your best players. Those are your leaders. One's your most talented young forward. One's the guy that has a C on his chest. And right? one's got a $7.5 million qualifying this summer. Exactly. Off this and summer. that's Brock Besser, right? And there is that maturity that has to happen too. Listen, I'm not advocating trading yeah. anyone here. My point here being there needs to be some maturity. Now, a guy like Pedersen is still really young. And, and Bo Horvat, they're 20, you know. We're not talking about a kid who's in in his early twenties anymore. He's not a chicken, man. He's third year as his ca- as a captain of this team. When it comes to actual minutes played, him and JT yeah. Miller have played the same amount of minutes in the NHL. Yep. As far as actual minutes played in the NHL so far, even though Miller's technically played a few more games, right? That got, that just kind of to- shows you how far into his career he is, right? So at what point is a player what he is, and who are the guys that can help set that standard? And if Luke Shen's a guy that helps set that standard, and you need more of those guys, and he only makes eight hundred fifty k, as much as I'm all for get the assets you you can, I can understand from the yeah. organization's point of view. Well, holding on to Luke Shen, you know, at his contract number and how well he's been as a fit for Quinn Hughes is a little bit different than paying $3 million bucks for J.B. Absolutely. And you know what? And the thing with Luke Shen here is you, 
next year at the deadline, you can yeah. still move him if you're yeah. out of the playoffs, right? 100%. And, if, and at that point, he's he's 33. You know, you're probably not looking at signing him to a contract at that point afterwards. You can always get something for him then. So he's not a player who depreciates considerably in value for next year either. But I just, you know, you're Look, right. If they were offered a first round pick, okay. You know, maybe there's an offer you can't of refuse. Of course. But of like, course it is. Yes. I said this a few weeks ago. Luke has been such a good fit on this team that it's hard to move on from a player like that because it gives you, again, it gives you some certainty going into next year, next to Quinn Hughes. Uh, again, a good leader, a guy who has weight in the room because he's been a good guy. Yeah. He's got two rings. He does the right things, says the right things. Guys like him, that matters. And he's not getting paid a ton. It clicks a lot of boxes for this organization. And I think what he said last night and then followed up by Alvin's comments today tell you why he is still a Vancouver Canuck well after the trade deadline and probably going into next September. I expect him here again with the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, I would expect the same thing. Now, what the, what happens this offseason? Obviously, you know, who knows, right? And you know, a lot of things can happen. So nothing's really set in stone as far yeah. as, you know, even his position here. But in the immediate future, too, I mean, the rest of the as much as, hey, the rest of the season, how much does it matter? Boudreaux's still trying to sell, hey, you guys, you got to go on an incredible run. I believe you can win as many games as you can and all that sort of stuff, right? But it's still about getting through the end of the season and then setting the tone for what to expect next year as well. I wonder if they have to move one of those guys to like really shake the room, you know? I mean, that that's a very fair, fair question to ask. And it certainly seems like that's something that needs to happen because all the core guys here have been here. Yep. Right. Like they came here, they were handed positions right away and they were, they were allowed to learn and play and the bar was low. They didn't make the playoffs if they did, they, it was celebrated, you know, greatly. I mean, that bubble was given so much love by the city and everybody, right, and accolades for it. I mean, even the smallest success was being applauded because there was the bar was so low for success. So the standard obviously hasn't been high enough in so many different ways, and they've gotten away with it in so many ways because they're still here. They got contracts. They're getting yeah. paid, right? They haven't suffered the consequences of not, you know, not understanding what the elite level is like, right? Yes. So maybe you're right. Maybe there needs to be a consequence here. I mean, it's just like kids and yep. parenting, right? At some point, there needs to be some sort of a consequence to your core guys for you to understand what the new standard is. Uh, Tony and Poco calling out the leadership group of this team. It doesn't get mentioned enough that the Canucks not only had a bad start to this season, effectively making it impossible for them to make the playoffs, but they did the same thing last year, too. They clearly need a legitimate leader that commands respect in the room that will grab these players by the scruff of the neck and hold them accountable in the room when they aren't performing. Luke Shen is great, but it can't be him. Look, it's always got to be a um, collection of players that are part of that leadership group. Yeah. That's what is ultimately how you build a great leadership group. It can't just fall on the guy that's wearing the C. But, look, I think there is enough smoke here to connect the dots as to the questions around how this team has been prepared for games, setting these standards. As I've said for weeks, eventually it does land on the captain as part of that 
criticism. And I think Bo has been in that line of fire for a while now and will continue to be until that kind of changes here, Sad. Well, it's because you're also getting to a point where you have to make a big decision on him, right? I mean, lost in most of the talk around JT Miller and what to do with him next season and Brock Besser and Garland and all these other things is what do you ultimately do with Bo Horvat? Yeah, we've explored signing him and all that sort of stuff. Him and trades has been discussed, but really the gravity of that decision, I don't think has really been discussed to a large degree, right? It's really all been about JT Miller, JT Miller, JT Miller. He's the guy, he's the guy, he's the guy that you have to trade that has value. Well, you have to come to a conclusion with Bull Horvat as well sometime this offseason. And how does this organization view him here long term? Is that who they want to be the captain? And if they do, well, you sign him. But if you're not sure he's the captain, but still like him as a player, but aren't sure how it works by taking the C off him, if that's even something you consider. And, and who knows? I'm just saying hypothetically here. I mean, these are conversations that have to be had, right? And things you have to consider. And how does that all fit in? And what's, what is what is it going to look like in yeah. the future? So I, I think, like it's been said so many times, and Earth mentions this all the time, outside of Pedersen, really, Hughes and Demko, and even people being, you know, we're talking about Pedersen being in that group of players that have to be a bit better. And, but he's still a guy that's so young and so talented. He's not in the equation yeah. yet. Maybe that changes with another with another bad year, right? Mm-hmm. Another year of bad signs. Maybe then there might be a different conclusion from the organization on a guy like Pedersen. But truly, outside of those three guys, whether you want it or not, outside of Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko, I truly believe, Dan, anything is possible. I don't, I'm not trying to sound like Kevin Garnett here, but I, but I really think anything could kind of happen outside of those guys. Uh, Bobby and Richmond, fans in the city and media are amazing. Now Bo is the one under the bus. Guy shows up, does the right thing always, and people aren't sure about him. Same way others have been run out of town. That's from uh, Bobby in Richmond. I mean, Bo, nobody's nobody's saying Bo's not a great guy. And mm-hmm. he's not a guy that works hard or is a guy that's, you know, been been a good Canuck and, and been a great citizen and a, and a leader as far as representing the organization. He's done all those things well. But like I said, the organization trying to assess how everything fits long term and a guy only has a year left on his contract, there are no promises, right? And I think this organization has been very clear that they haven't really made any real decisions outside of a few guys. Uh, look, Bo is Bo's been a good performer for this team. There's no doubt. And he's lived up to the contract that he got. That contract is coming to an end at the end of next year. It raises a lot of questions. These last two years have raised a lot of questions about the organization as a whole. And I think the new front office, just the idea that they have questioned the standard, the practice habits, and those different things... That raises questions about your overall leadership group. And at the end of the day, Bo is the captain, so he's going to wear some of that. Yeah. I. And I think it's fair, given the way these last two seasons have gone. Not to say Bo is a bad captain, but there's clearly some adversity that this entire group is going through over the last two seasons. And you can't really hide from that, given how these two seasons have gone and how they've underachieved relative to their talent level. Yeah, and I mean... The team obviously wants to become a Stanley Cup contender one day, right? They want to become a consistent playoff team. And they're a team that has failed to be consistent. Yep. So how do you become consistent? And to, in, order to, in order to understand how to become more consistent, you have to essentially figure out how every single player on this team fits in here long term, right? And, and that's just part of the assessment.
It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. Uh, we've got lots coming. Uh, of course, later this week, the Canucks and Colorado Avalanche. Big road trip for the team. Slim playoff hopes, but uh, they need 14 wins probably from their final 18 games uh, to punch that ticket to the postseason. So a tall ask, no matter how optimistic you are. This is Canuck Central.